Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Busman. And there's a quote that really resonates with me, and I hope it will with you too. It's from the Roman statesman and orator, Marcus Tullius Cicero. It goes like this. Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. And I have much gratitude for this week's guest, Jeff Rosenthal and his buddies, Elliot Bisnow, Jeremy Schwartz, and Brett Levy. That's because they're the founders of Summit. And Summit is the reason you're hearing this podcast, the reason I just booked a flight to Singapore and given talks around the world. You see, four years ago, almost to the day, Summit put me on stage to give a talk. I was on a cruise ship that left Miami And even though I'd been interviewing the icons who shaped world history for Esquire magazine up to that point, I had pretty much worked under the radar. You never saw me on TV, never heard me on radio. And I thought few of the 4,000 entrepreneurs who were on the ship would know who I was and attend my session. And plus, there are so many other speakers for them to see. You go to a summit event and you're likely to hear Amazon's Jeff Bezos or Google's Eric Schmidt. And plus, on top of that, there are culinary events, yoga sessions, and musical performances. So I was wondering if more than 17 people would show up to see me. But the event was marketed very smartly. Decoding the art of the interview with Mikhail Gorbachev, Donald Trump, and Muhammad Ali. So I guess people thought they'd meet those guys, and the room was packed. It was a long line out the door to get in, like at a nightclub. And when I got done, people were standing and applauding, and my life was forever changed. Not only did people begin to ask me to speak at their events, but friendships attached to that moment put me in contact with Tim Ferriss, who was in on Summit from the start. I went on Tim's podcast, and millions of people heard me. And the response was astonishing. Tim advised me immediately to start my own podcast. So everything I'm doing now can be traced back to that moment four years ago when I first stepped on the stage at Summit. And here's the thing about Summit. It hasn't changed just my life. It's changed a lot of lives. You ever see that documentary, Free Solo, about Alex Honnold? First guy to ever climb El Capitan without a rope. It's a gripping film. Won an Academy Award. And it was directed by the photographer and mountain climber Jimmy Chin and Chai Vassarhelyi. Where did Jimmy and Chai meet? At Summit. Not only was that film born at a summit, their little girl too. Companies like Uber have been funded early on from meetings at Summit. Guys who started Airbnb were at Summit before anybody ever heard of Airbnb. Summit is a place where entrepreneurs go to share ideas and make each other and the world better. It's really hard to fully capture the magic of this place. You're just a better person because of the random encounters you're going to have there. I mean, standing in the lobby on opening night, of their latest event, I bumped into at least 50 people who I've come to share great moments with through my involvement at Summit. I'm telling you, when you're at Summit, you're 
always hugging somebody. And you're always surprised to find out about how moving it was to hear a group of homeless people perform. Because when you're at Summit, you look at the world differently. Started with a single event that Elliot Bisnow threw for about 20 people. That was more than 10 years ago. And now 20,000 people have been touched by Summit. Summit has thrown events at the White House. It's bought a mountain in Utah. And now it's creating a city on that mountain, Powder Mountain, where entrepreneurs can be at the crossroads of nature and the future. Another quote that I love from the writer Ernest Hemingway gets at the feeling of the summit experience. If you're lucky enough to have been to Paris as a young man, it will always stay with you because Paris is a movable feast. That's the way I feel about summit. Once you've been there, it will be with you for the rest of your life. So I'm happy to bring you into a conversation I had with Jeff Rosenthal, one of the founders that we had at his place just before the latest event in LA. Now, Jeff has the knack for making everyone around him completely comfortable. So the only way you'll be more comfortable listening to this conversation is if you're wearing a sporty comfy tee hoodie or chinos because sportique threads are the definition of comfort. Go to sportique.com, S-P-O-R-T, IQE.com, and you'll see why. And you'll be even more comfortable knowing you'll get 20% off any item you select if you use the offer code CAL. Just occurred to me that I've never asked my pals, Matt Altman and Jason Franklin, over at Sportique if they've ever been to a summit event. If not, I've got to get them in on one because they love it. So let's get straight to Jeff Rosenthal, and I hope that your day will be better just knowing that Summit exists. Thank you, Jeff, because this podcast would have never appeared if it wasn't for you. We were just talking for about seven minutes, and then Jeff looked down and said, are, are you recording, Cal? And uh, my little disc had run out of space. Hey, you know, it happens. This is life. How are you? Thank you for having me. Appreciate being on the podcast. Now I know why your events run so smoothly. That's not. That constant that's, vigilance. No, I mean, that's true. Yes, constant vigilance. Not my constant vigilance. There's a lot of really talented people whose uh, skill sets are more aligned with keeping the trains on the track who are, are downtown right now, uh, making sure that we, you know, pull together this this endeavor this weekend, our, our LA 19 flagship event while I hang out here in my backyard office with you, Cal. <laughs> okay. Well, he here's the thing that struck me walking into a summit event. It's just the energy is different than anything I ever felt before. Now, the first time on the cruise ship, it's different because you are basically locked in with 4,000 entrepreneurs mm -hmm. that want to make the world better. And I had never like gotten into an elevator before and had people just putting out their hands to shake mine and wanting to know all about me all at once. Mm -hmm. And that energy is something that seems to be what enables you 
to go exponential because it just keeps reaching out to new people and make the people that are just coming in want to be part of this and attach it to somebody they know. Is that just pure entrepreneurial energy? No, no, no. It's not. No, I think... What it, what is it that makes it so special? No, so so there's plenty of things I think that make community special. Um, I think entrepreneurial energy is one component that is certainly a cornerstone of the the macro summit community. It's certainly something that you'll see in a lot of the people. I think what you're describing one is like a kindness and open mindedness, and so you know we have for the last eleven years we have a global community team. Um, where we meet every person that we invite into the summit community and there's no membership fee. It's just community members in good standing get invited to our series of events, large or small around the world. And, but they all have connected with somebody on our global community team who, who really does screen for these two things. One, are they innovators in their field, regardless of the discipline? For us, you know, so more, you're looking for people who have that energy. Certainly. And two, you know, are they kind, open-minded, nice people that we'd want to be around, regardless of personal professional success? I had no um, idea. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the more diverse the inputs, the more complex and impactful the outputs um, is something that people around me would make fun of me for saying too often. Um, but it is definitely, you know, part of our, you know, thesis on the value of summit, you know, this idea of arbitrage, right. You know, these, these, you know, connecting things that didn't exist in one world to another, that was something that was like world changing. Um, and it required, you know, huge factors of uh, production or means of influence in order to achieve. Right. And, and, uh, you know, whether it's spices from India to England or, you know, financial arbitrage, now you're talking about the, the blending of all these silos of influence and business and impact. And, um, we're all in each other's businesses now where all these things have folded in on one another. So a community like summit that's age diverse and background diverse and industry diverse wouldn't have made sense 15 years ago in the way it does today. Oh man. Um, so you, what you just explained to me, I didn't understand this Yeah, is that when I got into an elevator, I was already connected to everybody. I just didn't know them. To a degree. I think that, you know, there are two types of people in this world, weird people and people you don't know very well. And I think that, um, I think that, Especially those like yourself, you you said entrepreneurial spirit, and I push back on that a little bit. I don't think you'd define your enthusiasm for writing and journalism oh. as entre. Is that entrepreneurial no, spirit? Right. You're right. It's just spirit. You're right. You just were spirited in your pursuit of the thing you were interested in. And, and I that's, that's what we're looking for. And I would never have seen myself as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. It's just an enthusiasm. Yeah. Now, did that exist at the very start? I don't, I think yes. Um, no How did one, this start? Well, Summit started in 2008. Um, we were in our early 20s. I have a number of co-founders. One of my co-founders, Elliot Biznow, we were all running our own little enterprises, our own little companies. We were we were startup founders, and um, one of our co-founders was on the Warp Tour with his rock band, and you know he was doing merch and putting out albums and managing a website, the exact same thing as you'd be doing if you were you know an entrepreneur or building a business. So um, we, so you were we like 23, 24, 22, 23. 22, okay. Elliot cold called the first nineteen people himself. He was and like all of us, it's lonely, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're you're getting into something like this. You know, like you didn't. 
take a traditional route, you're trying to like manifest something in the world that otherwise wouldn't exist, which is really difficult by the nature of what you're just, just, it sucks. Like it's really hard. Like, you know, all businesses is solving problems. I'm just going to call so. 20 people up and say, Hey, you want to have a great weekend? Do you want to go skiing with me in Park City, Utah with other entrepreneurs? That seems kind of awesome. Like if somebody called me and invited me to do that out of the blue and I was 25 or something and was building something significant, like nobody was building anything significant. Let me rephrase. Like many of these people ended up becoming really important impact leaders or entrepreneurs uh, in their own right or in our generation. But, you know, at, you know, 2008, the Tom's Shoes and Donors Choose and Change.org and Charity Water and, you know, Uber didn't exist yet. But all these founders um, who went on to build all those things were in the first 60 people who were part of Summit. So at 22, 23, we went from being like, you know, sweet, enthusiastic kids uh, to having like a set of relationships and mentors through those relationships because we sort of realized that we didn't know shit and that we were really lucky to be around brilliant people. Like it's sort of, we sort of went from like having no reason to connect with anybody of significance like this to having the greatest excuse ever in the skeleton key that was like a summit event for us to just reach out to these people cold. Um, and because I had co-founders, it was fun. We were like hanging out and like you know, taking these calls and then talking to each other about the people we were meeting or the calls we were having. And like, it know, sounds like the best school ever. Yeah, it was. It is. It was. It, 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 that, that is true. I, we think that way. We're voracious learners and it feels like we get to be a mile wide and a mile deep because we're so close to such expertise and such enthusiasm. So where are you guys living when you start this? We were living, um, I was in New York City, but uh, Elliot and Brett, my other co-founder, were in D.C. And Jeremy was in uh, was in Boston. Our other secret sort of Oz-like co-founder, Ryan Beagleman, was also in D.C. But this and, is like and, sleeping on couches. Well, that and- was myself. Yeah. So so Ryan went actually to take over Elliot's uh, family business, BizNow, the real estate newsletter company that freed Elliot up to join the circus with me and Jeremy and Brett and launch Summit. And we literally like got rid of our stuff. I gave away furniture and like, you know, uh, left my apartment in New York City and moved onto Brett's couch in DC in his apartment with Jeremy. We both moved down. Um, Jeremy, Hold it. Yeah. Dude, like just... Furniture out in the street? No, I, furniture to friends, Cal. Oh, okay. Oh, I should have been thinking. Caving, yeah, yeah. man. Like, no, 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 no. We, we, we like, you know, gave away stuff and we didn't need it. We were like, the whole idea was like, we we're going to go there, you know, then host our event. And, and 2009 was actually in Aspen. It was another ski trip for 135 people. And we co-hosted it with the United Nations Foundation. We were, we were, you know, literally like after that event, I think we moved to Costa Rica. I think we, we, we then, you know, we're in Costa Rica and Nicaragua for maybe four or five months. And so we, this is right around the time of Tim Ferriss's book, The yes, Four Hour Work that's Week. right. Which yeah. had a influence on us. Um, he certainly doesn't work four hours a week. The message and the practice are different things. <laughs> He's a but, driven dude. But yeah. of course. Um, but what, what is true is, you know, sort of the 80-20 rule is actually like the 90-10 rule or the 99-1 rule, which is like all the value comes from the things that you focus on that are aligned with what you want to manifest in the world. And a lot of stuff is just like busy work or stuff that gets in the way. And there are these digital tools that empowered us like Dropbox and Gmail and iPhones for like the first time. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. at this time. Right at that moment. So, you know, VRBO. This is pre-Airbnb, really. And we would rent these houses on VRBO around the world. And it started with the four of us. It scaled to 20 of us. So when we would like move our company from Miami to Malibu, say in 2010, you know, and rent these houses. And these uh, this, was, this was before there was a whole digital real estate marketplace. So we would constantly utilize whatever was like, you know, coming online at that point in time to empower our platform. 
And so how conscious were all of you of how things were changing so suddenly? Did you realize, oh, this, this is like a huge wave here? Or was it just normal? We were in in the ski industry. We we are the stewards of a mountain called Powder Mountain, which is uh, one of the older ski resorts in Utah and one of the biggest ski resorts in the United States um, for the last seven years. And uh, we've been building a town on top of it, dedicated sort of these generational ideals of summit. But in skiing, uh, there's a term called overstoke. And so people get injured when they get overstoked. They don't pay attention. They're just like having too much fun. We're too high on the flow state. Okay. And it's a classic case of overstoke. You know, this person like bumped into a branch because they weren't paying attention because they were having too much fun. And it happens more regularly than you would imagine, right? Like it's a, a thing. And so I'd say that we were in overstoke mode for like 75% of the time that we've been building Summit just because we were exposed to just such unbelievable things. Like we'd go to Boston and Juan Enriquez would show us the, artificial bacterial life that he and Craig Venter built from scratch in the palm of our hands. Or we would go and we would see like new aviation technologies or the first electric vehicles. Or like I got to go in and see uh, the, the rocket factory, you know, oh, here in SpaceX. Los Angeles at SpaceX in 2011. So I was like, you know, I don't know, 27 or something. I, I Like I said, I think I, in, the, in the previous recording you deleted, I said I'm not the math guy, but, you know. <laughs> Um, but you know, whatever in my early twenties or mid twenties or late twenties, Jesus in, in that range. And I, I got to just get exposed to these amazing things one after another. Um, so every day you're waking up and you're just meeting people who are taking the world to a new place. Is that it? Well, there's value creation, right? It's not just that we're meeting people. The value creation is that we're learning about what they do. We're learning about how we can be helpful. We're thinking about all the other people in our network and in our community that we can you know, connect in a mutually beneficial manner where they're both going to be excited to know one another and support each other's work. And so we have done that literally since the beginning of Summit. We used to do it with a scattershot approach. We'd meet somebody like you and be like, I know five people that might be, you know, tangentially related to the things that I talked to you about. Meet them all. I'm like, <laughs> even at, but at that moment in time, it was still valuable for people, you know, certain, and maybe it wasn't a direct business thing, but because of the, you know, qualitative criteria of Summit, we were still connecting people to folks that they became like lifelong friends with later in life. You know, like that's some of the things I hear from, you know, the attendees that had joined Summit community members when they were in their late thirties or forties are like, wow, I thought I had like my friend crew set, you know, like I thought my people I was close with, like this was my squad, you know, like didn't expect to meet somebody that like I'm going to literally hang with all the time for, you know, as much as I can, you know. And then I showed up at your table. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and he, and here's the thing. I I, yeah. I remember coming to the table, and you may not know anybody, but you're almost at heightened attention mm -hmm. because the person that you meet may be the one that's going to change the world five years from now. You you don't take anything for granted. Yeah, and when you mention like people just you know, saying hi to you at your first summit event without knowing you are caring for that matter. It was like, Hey, you're here. We're here. Like, who are you? Who what are, are you, you about? That, that's right. Um, one of the things that I'm really proud of as a major component of the summit community is like the big timers, if you will, like the most successful people who participate, which is only like, say the top 10 or 20% of the community. It's a, it's a diverse community. It's age diverse. It's industry diverse. There's fellows who are at the very beginning of their career, all of which have a purpose and, ha and are really important to the ecosystem of summit. 
if you're later in your life or you're later in your career, or even if you're young and you're really successful, you don't get exposed to new ideas in the same way. You have more on your plate. You're just like doing more stuff. You have more, you know, responsibilities. And so we love that, you know, these people come to Summit not just to rub shoulders with the elite, but to get exposed to new ideas and new people and new spheres of influence that they otherwise, that's, that's part of the trust that I think we've earned, you know, with the Summit community, with what we program on our stages, um, whom we bring into our community that I really, really appreciate. Has there been one event that for you took things to like a new level where you found yourself like amazed? Like you're looking around saying, is this really happening? No, because the bakers aren't blown away by the bread because they were part of the process in a sense, you know, like when you see how these things come to be like, look, we have, we're, we're big dreamers and we think really big and, you know, we'll, we'll go after large opportunities, right? We'll try to, you know, take over a downtown of a city for a, for a flagship event or we'll, you know, uh, charter an ocean liner or buy a mountain town. Um, but you, you know, built like, but, a table but, but that we, was a yes, quarter of quor- a mile yes, long. Yes, we built a quarter mile long dinner you're table looking for a thousand it. people. We're looking at it. I know what went into that. I know how we leveled it. I know how we delivered the courses. I know how we troubleshot how we served the first courses. So if we, we can walk through it. So a thousand person dinner table, quarter mile dinner table. We actually had a parade to get to it led by John Batiste on top of Powder Mountain in the middle of the summertime. He's from the New first, Orleans yes, with, uh, with the, that little horn. He's got his horn. He's got his like four person band. He's now on the Colbert show. He's the house band on the Colbert show. And uh, so you had everybody like following him, like in a conga line. Not, a, I would say more like a, he would say a second line from New Orleans, right, but okay. basically a parade from the campsite that we had built um, for 750 people for three and a half days on top of this mountain um, to this long table. And uh, everybody who showed up, every group of five would get a picnic basket, and the picnic basket had uh, wine glasses, charcuterie. Uh, it had a little FM radio tuned to our pirate radio station for the soundtrack of the evening. And it had like the first two courses essentially of the meal. And that was the alleviation of having wait staff that had to walk a quarter mile down and back in order to serve this thing. <laughs> and then we served the main courses to have them be hot on ATVs. I don't know if you remember this. No. But uh, yeah, it was ATV serviced. And we had them back far enough from the table so it wasn't like gas hitting people when they were in their conversations. So so ultimately what you saw was this like long table dinner. It's very elegant and everything's served For and everybody's seated, seated. And yeah, but like we actually like were out there for three days, like putting the table together and figuring <laughs> out like, how are we going to serve four courses? It's like, oh, we're going to make the people carry the first two themselves, you know? So it's like, so th- there's a demystification of these things. I think when you're like in the weeds on it, I've never had a moment where I was like, wow, so impressed with what we've done. Really? That's really not, no, but that's not our nature, man. That's also not the, the goal. The goal is not like a physical experience. The goal is like what comes out of bringing people together over, you know, a long period of time. And, and seeing what manifests as a collective. Um, so the, the KPIs we're measuring is not like, you know, uh, peak excitement level in, a, in an experience. It's really like, you know, what happens over, the, you know, a 10-year time frame. You know, we just had our first 10 years um, with Summit. You know, we're really excited about what we'll bring into the world over the next 10. So like when you watch the movie Free Solo and the story of Alex Honnold, mm-hmm. I wins an Oscar mm-hmm. for best documentary. And you know that 
the two people mostly responsible for the production of it met at your table. Mm-hmm. What does that make you feel, or do you look at it the same way this as is keeping, putting together? This is keeping score. We don't keep score. You don't score. keep score. No, okay, no, 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 no. score. This is a giving competition, and we intend to win. Wow. <laughs> And, and yeah. And I mean, that's a great line. This is a giving competition and we intend to win. Yeah. And like all my great lines, it's, it's crib from somebody way smarter and more sophisticated (laughs) than me that I met through summit. And, and that, but that's the honest truth. Look, if you scale a community organization, you, chances are you and your team get more serotonin and dopamine from doing for others than when you get for yourself. So if you're wired, like we're wired, you just get joy out of this. Like it's not, it's not a scoreboard. It's not getting credit. And the other truth is that if you approach things from a reciprocity loop or a game of trades perspective, you're going to always feel like you're losing because you're going to give more than people who are conditioned to do this uh, will in relationship oh, to you. Oh man, and so I, didn't I only know this through that. personal I didn't experience. Yeah, that. I've screwed this up with friends, with people I love, and like felt were, like where you're yeah. giving and saying, "Hey, where's my to where's come my back? Well, no, why does it need to be that way? You know, so you don't care. Not only do I not care, I knew this to be true. <laughs> I knew this to be true at Summit because there's a triangulation of goodwill. Like if you're taking care of the people that I love, I'll take care of you. I don't care. Like if, you know, it doesn't, I don't need to have personal incentive to see somebody who's helping the people that I care about win. You know what I mean? There's a, there's a community, there's a team, there's, you know, an expansion of goodwill beyond yourself. So if you're in that community, then I can assume that I can, and it also puts you in a state where you can ask for help. Like I ask everybody to help me on everything because I'm constantly doing for other people. So I wouldn't- oh, So I, you're giving, giving and giving and giving, well, I'm giving so you I can ask gift. for help. Yeah, Cal, yeah. I'm giving you the gift of being able to give me a gift. <laughs> and you don't have to. I don't care if you do or if you don't. You're still going to get the love, but like, that's fun. I love that. I love giving gifts. So, you know, like that's- the, Were you this you know, way at the start? Or did this, was this learned over the last 11, 12 years? I think that at the start, we are a group of- people that wanted acceptance from people that we looked up to and we wanted, you know, to prove to ourselves and to the world around us that we were like worthy and capable. Um, and so that aspects of that are like ego, you know, it's like, you know, and, and just like that sort of fear of how you're interpreted by other people and like your self-worth in a sense. And so like we certainly at 22 years old, we're not clear of that. I think we got really lucky that, in that same set of mentors, as Summit continued to scale and become more successful, we were, you know, put on the path with stuff like Ram Dass and Be Here Now. And uh, we built like both like, you know, personal like wellness practices and health practices and mental practices to like really focus on stillness and presence and community and family and friendship and the things that really matter in this world. That's one of the things I'm most, if it's like, man, what you were around somebody with so much money, what did you like, what do they do? How is it? Yeah, you're like, you have Jeff Bezos coming in to speak. Yeah. So who, so all of the trappings of wealth couldn't give a shit. The scoreboard for what matters and the refinement over time and understanding over generations, like what really is valuable in life, that is something that you can learn for like success leaves clues, right? Whether that's in business or in family life or in like, you know, how to steward a large community, like being around people that have done this and done it in a way that was really thoughtful has been has been an amazing part of the journey. But it, it sounds like there were almost there were no other tables like this when you started. 
this is something you invented. Out of necessity. We just do what we can with what we have. I'm not a great writer, so I didn't, you know, create what I've learned. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm not a genius scientist. So I didn't invent anything, you know, like I love community and I love people and I'm energized by people. And you could look at it on the negative and be like, Jeff is running for mayor of nowhere, wherever he's going. Or you could be like, you know, the positive, which is that I just really enjoy <laughs> Uh, people and I really enjoy communion wow. and I really, you know, so, so I, I do you I, feel you know, like a mayor? No, cause I'm not elected. <laughs> Nobody elected me to anything and I don't desire to be in power. I, I actually think that organizers are who I look up to, not leaders. World's got plenty of leaders. Like the organizers are the ones who I admire because they're the ones who are going to do the work to make the thing actually come into being. Oh man. The COO. That's not what I mean either. Oh, COO okay. is an operational role. So that's that's not the organizer. Who's the organizer? Who It depends on the organization. It doesn't necessarily have so, to so be So you a, you respect the people who would say, "Okay, we got this quarter mile table and we've got to get four courses out here." The the person who can come up with the idea of a picnic basket that's, that's what really, you appreciate? That Well, that's a component of it for sure. And, and it's organizers always, right? I just think that people get leadership twisted. Like you asked me, do I feel like a mayor? A mayor is typically like, you know, the figurehead of a community. They have to be elected. They have to run a campaign. They have to like be a lot of things for a lot of people. But pe they, you know, people like, have problems. They go to the mayor to to solve them. Do you, do sure. people come, come to you? Absolutely. To but that's a different aspect of our role and what the work that we do. You know, like I, that's just a different part of of stewarding community. Like there's your capacity to help people solve the problems that they have. I'm not the end all be all for that. I'm certainly, I do that for my friends and for people that aren't my friends. I love doing that, but the community can solve all of your problems. Like if you have a triangulation of goodwill, I might know someone else that you should talk to who I would want to introduce you to because you're both my friends. Um, and I'd like for that friend to give you the gift of their knowledge of their relationships because they can help you accomplish the thing that you want to see in the world. And that's something that I want to see in the world. You know, you can expand your network effect of problem solving exponentially if your liberation is bound up together. If it's just you and your faculties, like, I mean, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It's literally 0.1% of the entrepreneurs that we've met in this in this journey who are like genius level, super smart, I can build it and do it all myself people. And the rest of us are smart enough and we organize with other smart enough people to, to like come up with solutions for the scale of problems that we put ourselves into based on our, on our ambitions. You know, listening to you, I'm wondering how old were you when music started to be shared over the internet? Because like that... I was, and I'm, I program a lot of the music at Summit. I do all of our playlists. I still voraciously consume music and build playlists. And, um, and so I, every generation of this I've, I've played with, but I think I was a junior in high school. I think the first ones that I got to see were like Audio Galaxy and then uh, I think Napster and Kazaa and mp3.com actually in high school when I was like a freshman. And so you were only, you know, getting what was on mp3.com. It wasn't like a search, like a Napster or Kazar or Audio Galaxy or anything. So it was like the very, very first sort of like outside of the radio or a record store or a friend or uncle's car or something um, where you would discover new music. Do you think that that had an influence on everything that Summit would become? Because basically it was 
it was saying everybody can come to this table and listen. You're you're no longer uh, have to go to the record store. Uh, it's it's just out here to be shared. Our ambitions for Summit are that democratic and communitarian. You know, like one of the. Uh, misalignments of our mission and vision and values and our reality 11 years in is that, you know, it's still closed loop for so many people. It's like, if you aren't at our events or, you know, visiting with one of us directly, you know, there's no, like, it's not like Ted talks, which is scaled, you know, many of their talks around the world and given that gift to so many people, you're talking about, you know, the abundant access to music of, of all eternity at the tip of your fingers. Like, yeah, that was a pretty revolutionary and, and everybody really got to play in that, uh, you know, no matter what they're standing and some, it isn't that, you know, and, and our, our fellows program is something that we've built to address that. And, you know, our consciousness about it is something that we, you know, think if you're already, you know, attempting something, you're on the path to, to solving it in a sense, but, uh, you know, you've taken the first step rather. I think that in terms of the way that we cue information, I can see the parallel that you're describing, right? Specifically with something like, Kazaa, because you could see all of the shared stuff that was on somebody's hard drive, right? Or like BitTorrent when like when we were in college it was like right at the end of school, torrents came out where you could like download movies or full albums faster or whatever. But what was summitish about the music sharing piece is that, you know, once we were at a place where I could see somebody's catalog, I could start, you know, identifying some key markers of taste that I valued. And if you had some oh, of those hits, man, if you... I could see some leadership in your music <laughs> choice, I'd get into your whole catalog. And so that's curating the curated. And that's essentially what we do on our stages wow. at Summit. Like that's how we're so wide and so deep is that, you know, we look for archetypical leadership in all of these different disciplines. I go to the half dozen people that I know or category experts, I ask them who blows their mind. And if you can find some pattern recognition among that set of people that hopefully often disagrees with one another, that's where you're going to yield like the absolute best person for a stage that's going to reach your entire audience. Well, how do you determine, like you've got Harrison Ford this year, you got Ray Dalio, the, uh, the investment guru. How do you determine who should be on stage this year? Ray is on stage because principle-based thinking is like a revolutionary concept that we could all stand to continuously learn more about. Um, he put out a book called Principles. And, you know, like we're really lucky that Ray has decided to share his way of seeing and thinking with the rest of us because traditionally he didn't and people in his space don't. With Harrison, Harrison is actually introducing um, a conversation with Peter Seligman, the founder of Conservation International, founder of Neotero. And he's one of the most important conservation leaders alive today. You know, so so when you, you ask about those two, and those both are like luminaries, right? That P Harrison, of course, as well in his space. Um, and he and, and we part of it is like the two examples. One, you know, like it's it's these luminaries who are later in their career who have accomplished a lot that we can stand to learn from and sit at the feet of you know masters and to really be masters at what you do, to really have wisdom to share. It's just rarefied air. We also aim to have like the bleeding edge represented, right? The things that are changing the world today in real time, um, the new ideas that are like breaking the way that we experience, you know, our society or business or reality, whatever. Like who um, who is coming to Los Angeles that represents that? 
Uh, a lot of people, you know, it, on, on, on the culture side, uh, like ASAP Rocky, a hip hop icon and a designer and had, you know, this recent experience in Sweden um, that, you know, is really unique and powerful for him to reflect on. Um, there's, there's folks um, like Sebastian Mejia, who started Rappy out of Mexico and in South America. Imagine if like TaskRabbit and Uber Eats and, and Mechanical Turk had a, had a, had a Latino love child that is rappy and it is perfect for the audience it serves. And it's, and it's like scaling incredibly. And he's just an amazing entrepreneur or Michael action Smith, the founder of calm, right? Like this is a, this is now a like global behemoth of a business focused on mental wellness and mental fitness. And um, I'm a big believer in market-based approaches, you know, for solving societal issues. I think that things that make money grow and things that lose money typically shrink and that philanthropy and impact dollars can be used to set the conditions or solve certain issues and alleviation of suffering that just market-based solutions will never be able to deal with. But in terms of many of these things, you need big behemoth corporations and organizations to fight big behemoth organizations and corporations. So it's really exciting to us when we see things like Calm gaining root and getting like whatever, 5 million paying customers or whatever. And then, you know, on food, Alice Waters, who basically created the, you know, American farm to table movement right. in California, California cuisine. Also the, you know, creator of Noma, uh, the restaurateur who created Noma and chef who created Noma will be at the event who is, you know, rated best chef in the world this year. And so that's a perfect example of like, you know, the bleeding edge and the, the history old, that got us right, here, the yeah. old with the new, right. but the old is never old, you know, like that's just a perception that like, if it's old, well, when I it's say outdated, old, I mean, she's, she's just been, she was at the start yes. and she's just followed the whole arc. Yes. Always standing for what she stood for. Totally. So she's an unending landmark. No matter where she goes. Yes. Wow. What a poetic way to put it, Cal. That's way. <laughs> what? That's way better than old, buddy. Yeah. And can you see where this goes down the road? You've you have a mountain in Utah, and people can go there. They can ski. They get together. But you're you're basically building a haven for people to come together. So that when they bump into each other, they're going to take both their lives to new places because of that collision. Mm -hmm. Where will this be like 10 years from now, 20 years from now? To your point on Powder Mountain, it's a public town. And when we purchased the ski resort and started developing our village and the concept, we looked at the 20 years of work it would take to really manifest fully. We decided it wasn't a hard decision that we wanted to build something that, you know, was open to the public, that anybody that resonated with these ideals of, you know, creativity and open-mindedness and entrepreneurship and collaboration, you know, which plenty of people roll their eyes at. It's like, okay, this dude talks like a self-help book, but like, it's my life. Like we've just lived this, like, it's not up for debate. This is not like, you know, the secret. This is like, this is the way we roll. And this is just, like, this is what the results came from. Right. So, um, for us, what we didn't want to, what we didn't want to forget about was like us when we were at the start, you know, like what if, you know, we built a thing that was exclusive to people that were just like us when we were in our early twenties and starting out, you know, and didn't know anybody and didn't have anything to bring to the table, but, you know, had the energy and wanted to be a part of the movement. So, that and it's a special place and it was a special place powder mountain in eden utah before we got there so there's a lot of people who are the key constituents of that community 
who have a personal connection to that valley and that mountain that we owe, you know, a great deal of debt and responsibility to, to have stewarded this thing in this place in this in, in such an incredible manner for so long, right? And it's this combination of values that we really appreciate. We love nature. We love being out in the wilderness. We like, there's no streetlights and no stoplights. And we like the state of mind it takes us to. And then we like to be in the cities and we like to build with our friends and we're voracious and we, you know, we'll probably not stop until our mental faculties force us to in a sense, right? So in terms of where it goes, we like to say gardening, not architecture, even though that kind of doesn't make sense now that we're building a physical community and there's plenty of architecture. Um, but gardening out architecture in the sense that we still steward the energy of the community without trying to be too definitive of where we're, where we're going to take it or where it's going to go to say where we're going to take it. It's just like, it's too opt in. Like it's not a single specific product where we get to say, we will do this with the thing and it will become like, there's, there's 20,000 people in the community and you know, thousands of people at the mountain and 130,000 skiers a year that go to Powder Mountain. It's like, we, 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 there's just a lot of folks that we want to, you know, bring under our tent and have their voice be heard and give them true equity and where we'll go with this and be responsive to the times that we're in, you know, like had Hillary Clinton won in 2016 versus Donald Trump, the needs of the community or of the content or of the people that, and like what we're all doing, these things would have shifted. There's plenty of other things that are going to occur and that have occurred and continue to occur that influence our lives in that way. But we're, we're very open-minded about where this goes. We're going to definitely continue to support people that we think are doing great work in the world with whatever means we have at our disposal. That's for sure. So people bump into each other. You don't keep score. This is just give and give and give and never be disappointed by how much you give because it's only going to be negative to expect something for it. Yeah, I would say that that's a guiding I'm, I'm, principle, right? It's a guiding principle. I'm also particular about who I spend my time with and and who I, you know, uh, prioritize. Like how you spend your time is who you are, not what you think about who you are, what you think is important to you, what you do is who you are, right? Like what, what are your actions? What are you, what actions are you taking? So if you have a relationship and you're just constantly giving and there's no return for you, uh, then that's, and that, that sounds like somebody that you don't really appreciate as a friend. Okay, I it sounds like it. you're I not getting it. anything out of that, right? right? Like right. if I have somebody that I, is a friend that I love, that I enjoy the company of, and I see eye to eye with on certain things, and they, they make me feel communion, they make me feel community, they make me feel accepted or seen, it doesn't ever need to be equal in any other way. Like I don't care. Like that's not why I'm giving. You know, I'm giving because I have the means to. And it makes me feel good, and it can do something good for someone I care about. Like I, I don't just like if you run up on me in the street or like send me a cold email that doesn't make any sense. Like I might not respond, right? But I'm not saying that we're like you know Mother Teresa or we're <laughs> selfless in our we're, in, in any way. But like, but I do think that you know there is um, a selfishness in being selfless. Right there, I think the best way to feed yourself is to like you know give unselfishly of what you have to offer, and that's what yields your future. Like if especially if you don't have anything, if you're feeling like you're on the outside and you're feeling like you're getting started and you don't have access, like build expertise and something that you can build passion around. The root of enthusiasm is in theos, it means with God. 
And so when you feel like you're with God, where you feel like you're in flow state when you're thinking about or working on something, that gives you the means to be an expert in it. It doesn't need to be your day job, but it just means that if you talk to somebody like me that's interesting and interested, you can tell me about something that I want to learn about, which is literally anything. And if you can give me that <laughs> gift, I'm down to literally open up my entire world to you. That's where I'm saying we start. We have to self-invest and you have the means in which to do so of no other person in human history, right? And the world is a bucket of crabs and it's completely unfair and money makes more money and you know it's a winner take all society and all the bad shit that we know is real. However, um, you know, you hold in the palm of your hand, if you have a smartphone, the same computing power as the president of the United States had in total in like 1985. You know what I mean? Like you're a Samburu tribesman in Kenya has the same access to like, you know, the, the knowledge of the world. If only they know what to cue, right? In a sense, if, if we learn how to learn. One thing that I'm very conscientious of and non-judgmental around is that if you don't have the words, you literally can't have the thoughts. I don't mean to go totally existential on you, but you're, you know. You're, Let's say that again. If you so, don't so have if you, the words. If you don't have the words, you can't, can't have, have the, the thoughts. thoughts. We think in words. Right. So if you don't have the vocabulary to describe the thing that you want to talk about, then you literally can't have the conversation. Right. So, so you have to invest in yourself. You have to like truly learn and and find passion around learning, whatever that means. Like I don't really read a lot, to be honest with you. I learn mostly through conversation with people. Uh, like I'm an auditory and like conversational learner. I have to be very active in the learning in order to like hear anything. It's it's bad. I can't pay attention. I'm ADHD. And yet, you know, figured out a way to teach myself. And 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 I also like I went to special schools and like you know, when I was a, a younger kid and sister has dyslexia and like, I've been around a lot of like real learning differences. And, and I don't mean to like pull yourself up by non-existent bootstraps. I just mean that like, I think my favorite line of any song ever is uh, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. None, none but ourselves can free our minds by Bob Marley. Marley you know? yeah. And like, that's, that's the truth. You know, like that's, that's the truest truth is that, you know, you have to give yourself permission to go on the path that you say that you want and you have to do not want to be. You know, here I am, I've like bumped into you for years, but now I'm really beginning to understand. And it's a beautiful thing Thank you. to be able to get up every morning and go to school in the way that helps you learn and provide a school for a whole bunch of people who want to learn. And it's almost like molecules coming together, bouncing off each other. Mm -hmm. And every mo molecule is better for the collision. Well, we would be the synapses, you know, what exists between the molecules to bring them together so they can, or between the neurons, right? You got your neurons, you got your synapses. And so there's, there's great value in being the connective tissue. And uh, not not great ultimately for the ego if that's what you're trying to get out of it. If you need to be like the coolest kid on the block. Whoa! Now I got it. Yeah, we want to be. So wanna, you're the connective tissue. That's our ambition. It's not that we are. There's so much going on out there in the world that we're not involved in at all. But like, but that's, that's what you aspire to to be that connective tissue to organize, not lead. Oh man, I'm so glad we had this conversation. Totally. I'm gonna go into the event 
seeing a totally different way because of it. Well, choose your own adventure out there. You know, that's the point. It's like, you know, go to the things that call to you. And if it's, you know, sitting and being social and not participating in any content, if it's doing wellness for three and a half days, uh, if it's just, you know, going into talks from noon to night, like, do, do your thing. Like that, the whole reason that we build this choose your own adventure model of events is uh, because we want to consecrate your decisions for you. We want you to have to choose between a couple of things that you really want to participate in. And, uh, and by making that choice, you sort of tell yourself where your interests are at this moment in time. Well, I'm going to focus even more keenly than I would have because of this conversation. And I'm, I'm very grateful, as I've, I've told you many times, my life is completely different because of the connective tissue that you have provided. And I know you've done that for a lot of people. Oh, thanks, Cal. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm flattered that you uh, asked me to be on your podcast. And I hope I didn't get too lost in the sauce and the existential with you. No, I love going existential. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> so now... Let's go downtown. Have a good time. Thank you, Cal. All right. Cheers, brother. That about wraps it up. I want to thank all the guys at Summit for including me in their ever-expanding family. I want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast so I can bring all this gratitude to you. Thank you for your emails from just about every continent. Haven't gotten one from Antarctica yet. Antarctica. I'll be happy to hear from you. So many great people I've met because of my attachment to Summit. Never would have met my friends at Sportique if Summit hadn't put me on stage. And now I think of all the people who have smiled and said, wow, that's so soft. After I've handed them a Sportique hoodie. You will see what I mean if you go to Sportique.com, S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E, and use the offer code CAL for 20% discount makes me so happy to let you know about those threads and all the goodness they bring. Once you put them on, you will roam in comfort. Keep on roaming. Keep on writing. I love to get your emails. And who knows, maybe I'll read them while I'm in Singapore. And that would be all because of Summit. Cheers!